men are often overlooked in in the fertility conversation. The focus tends to be very much on the female, and and while that's fine, you know, men contribute fifty percent to a pregnancy. So it's really, really important to get them involved in the discussion of diet and lifestyle changes as well. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number two hundred and seventy-seven. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Well, hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today, I have a returning guest, Lisa Simon, who is a registered dietitian in the UK to talk about her newest book about fertility. So it's a great discussion. Just for reference, I also have a, another podcast episode with her that goes more in depth. It's a little bit longer is episode number 162 that was aired on June 27th of 2021. So if you want even more information from her, then check out that episode. And of course, her newest book, It's Beautiful, that we're going to talk about. Before I tell you more about Lisa, I just want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child, anybody in your family's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a health professional. So Lisa Simon is a registered dietitian with a wide range of clinical experience. She splits her time working in the NHS as dietetic lead in child and adolescent mental health and working at CQC, Care Quality Commission, Registered Health Service, Plant-Based Health Online, running individual and group consultations and delivering educational webinars. So she is one busy lady. She has written a clinical update on diet fertility for the British Dietetic Association and has written her first book, The Plant-Based Dietitian's Guide to Fertility from Preconception to Healthy Birth. And she has also co-authored and co-edited Plant-Based Nutrition and Clinical Practice. So she is very experienced. She has personal experience. She has lots of wisdom. She's evidence-based. So you can trust what she's saying. This book is very comprehensive, easy to read, easy to follow. It has recipes in it and all the references are included. So definitely pick that up if you are on that journey and want more information. So in this podcast episode, we talk about why she wrote the book. We She covers her infertility journey, what happened to her and how what she learned during that time. We talk about the definition of infertility and what percentage of couples are affected by it, what she thinks is wrong with the World Health Organization's definition of fertility. We talk about the very important preconception period, how long it should last, what you should focus on in the preconception period. 
And then we go through the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, and she highlights a couple that she thinks are particularly important for couples to focus on pre and during the fertility period. And of course, after, because it's never wrong to practice lifestyle medicine. We also talk about men and why it's important that we don't forget about men in the fertility journey and what things they can do to optimize their fertility what she's learned about fertility and diet and lifestyle that surprised her the most and, you know, lots of other great things. So this is a fabulous episode and uh, I really appreciate you for being here. So thank you so much for returning listeners and for new listeners. Welcome. I hope you love what you find here and that you share with friends and family that you think may benefit from this information. So thank you so much. And now let's welcome Lisa Simon. Lisa Simon, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you very much for having me back. It's lovely to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you back. And it's such a good reason to have you back because you've written a book, The Plant-Based ah, Dietitian's Guide to Fertility. It's so beautiful, too. I just love this cover. Look, it matches me as well. It really does. So coordinated. <laughs> so let's let's start with why did you write this book? Oh, it all stems back from my own infertility issues when we, my husband and I were trying to conceive our youngest. So we have a, a son who's 14 and I hadn't really suffered any any problems uh, conceiving him. So I didn't think we'd you know, we'd struggle with with our youngest, but we did. And we ended up having to go down the IVF routes because we thought we didn't really have much time to play around with. He was in his early 40s. I was 37. Um, we'd been trying for two years. And it was during that time where you just try and find anything you possibly can to try and help improve your chances that I stumbled across plant-based nutrition. And because I have a science background, I knew that it wasn't just something that you know it, it wasn't fiction um, and misinformation as, as you know there's a lot of that out there and the more I read the more I thought there is really something here and I went 90% plant-based myself the only thing I was still having was dairy and that was because luckily the IVF was successful on the first round and I fell pregnant and I was scared to cut out dairy because I didn't really know a lot about plant-based nutrition at that time. As a dietitian, we weren't taught about plant-based nutrition at all in university. Um, and it wasn't until my baby was diagnosed with cow's milk protein allergy at six weeks that I gave up dairy overnight and amazing things happened for me. Um, my menstrual cycle that had been absent for God, well over a decade came back um, and it's been the same ever since, a 28 to 32 day cycle. The significant pain I suffered with with endometriosis disappeared. Um, and it's purely anecdotal, I know, but it was just, it had such a huge impact on me that I just wanted to delve into the evidence base and share it as widely as possible. I thought the best way to do that is to write a book. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you've taken your experience and your learning and use that to help others so that they can hopefully shortcut their way to some of these outcomes instead of having to figure it out, reinvent the wheel over and over like a, like a lot of people have to. So this is really great information. And this book is very comprehensive. It's very evidence-based. All of the resources are listed. The references are listed. So highly recommend for somebody 
in their journey. But before we get more into the specifics, can we define what is infertility, first of all, because you know, the definition can range and there's like different definitions I've seen and approximately how many couples are affected by it? So infertility, there are two terms that are used slightly interchangeably, but they're not really the same thing. So there's subfertility, which is when you struggle to conceive after a few consecutive cycles. So within a 12 month period, but if that extends over 12 months, then you you go into infertility. And it affects between 8 to 13% of couples globally. So a really significant number of people. And the definition, I mean, we have the World Health Organization definition of infertility, which talks about your failure to conceive and a disease of the reproductive system. And it talks about um it's very specifically geared towards heterosexual couples. But actually there's a lot wrong with that definition, in my opinion, and it really needs to be changed and made more inclusive. But also, it's not a failure. You, you, you're not a failure if you if you can't conceive. And a lot of couples, and especially women that I talk to, do feel that way. And they feel like they've let their partner down or they're, they've somehow failed as a woman if they can't conceive. And I just think to put that in, in you know, the, the who definition is is wrong. And also, it's not always a disease of the reproductive system. And in fact, that's actually a really small percentage of people who who have a disease of the reproductive system. The, the vast majority of, of people that go for fertility treatment, actually, the reason is male infertility. So that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that's a, it's an archaic <laughs> definition and it really needs to you know really needs to be changed yeah for sure i mean it's already such an emotionally charged journey to begin with no matter what no matter what happens in your journey of trying to conceive there's so much emotion so to increase the amount of guilt shame or blame it can just be very devastating to some people to be uh to encounter that but isn't it true also that there's a significant number of people that we can't even find a, a specific reason why they're not able to conceive? Like, you know, you could do all kinds of testing, but sometimes there's no there's no one thing to point at. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what myself and my husband were diagnosed with, even though I did have endometriosis, it was unexplained infertility. And, you know, it, when that's the situation, it's so important to know that there is so much that can be done to try and help optimize your chances. And even though these diet and lifestyle interventions that I talk about will not guarantee that you fall pregnant because nothing will guarantee that, it, it can certainly significantly improve your chances. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk about the preconception period because that's so important. And so what is the preconception period? First of all, how long should it last? And what should couples or people that are trying to conceive focus on during that period? So the preconception period is is any time before you, you actively try to conceive. And you really want to be looking at making diet and lifestyle changes at least three months before. It takes roughly 90 days for the sperm and egg to develop. But however long before that you can make these changes would be really, really beneficial. So you want to be looking at really 
reducing down or eliminating the animal products in your diet and you know that that can vary depend from person to person so some people might be quite happy to completely eliminate animal products other people might not want to do that and just you know reduce them down then that's absolutely fine but there are certain components in animal products that can really negatively affect fertility and they include heme iron saturated fat trans fats um, and animal proteins themselves so we have lots of evidence showing negative effects of those things and also advanced glycation end products or ages and they can cause widespread inflammation so the most common cause of uh, most common source sorry of ages is meat and especially dry cooked meat so barbecuing frying grilling that kind of thing and what those ages do is they attach to receptors in the body and in the reproductive tract so they can attach to around the ovaries and induce early ovarian aging they can attach to the uterus and actually prevent implantation because of the inflammation they can also attach to various points of the male reproductive system around the testes and they can they can cause um harmful effects to the sperm as well so really reducing down those things and introducing as many different plant foods as possible is going to be really beneficial so you want to look at your overall diet quality you want to make sure you're eating sufficient amount of carbohydrates particularly whole grains and there's a lot of misinformation that low carb diets are beneficial for fertility they're not it's the worst thing you can do you need plenty of fiber in that diet you need enough fats as well and this then that's something that women can be particularly afraid of but fats are really really important so monounsaturated fats for women olive oil avocados nuts seeds polyunsaturated fats for men because that is what sperm is predominantly made up of so you need to feed that sperm a lot of polyunsaturated fats so hemp chia flaxseed walnuts soya leafy greens as many as you can i also recommend a an omega-3 supplement so getting supplementation right is also important so the dietary advice for the for people who eat fish is two servings of fish with one oily fish a week but that amounts to about 450 milligrams of epa and dha which is the active omega-3 so fish get that from algae plant-based eaters take an algae supplement so you cut out the middleman you go straight to the source b12 is also really really important for fertility and plant-based eaters should be taking a daily b12 supplement you can take a weekly larger dose but i always think that's harder to remember so i always say aim for a daily 25 microgram b12 and also iodine so iodine is a nutrient that's classed as um, an essential nutrient for the first thousand days of life so that's from conception so just before the child's second birthday but actually women need to make sure their iodine stores are plentiful before conception starts and as it's more difficult to get that regularly on a plant-based diet 150 microgram supplements of iodine is recommended as well there are lots of other things that we need to take into consideration not just diet and i talk about that in the book so all the other pillars of lifestyle medicine so stress sleep um nurturing your relationships exercise avoidance of toxic substances or substances that can be harmful to fertility there's so much to consider i love that yeah that's very comprehensive and definitely uh 
my what I advocate for in general for people is to really follow those pillars of lifestyle medicine, eat a plant-centered or a plant-based diet, get that fiber in. And just to clarify, because you said low-carb is definitely not the way you want to go. We need fiber. Why is a low-carb diet a low-fiber diet? I mean, when you're looking at low-carb diets, you're cutting out whole grains, you're or producing them very, very to minimum amounts. You're really reducing the fruits and vegetables in your diet as well. And you're just cutting out so many great sources of fibre. And fibre is really important for those hormone-driven conditions like polycystic ovaries and endometriosis. And when you eat fibre, it can affect, it can help manage those conditions in a couple of ways. So the fibre combined with excess hormones that are filtered out of your body through your liver and remove them from your body. If there's not enough fibre in your intestine for that to happen, then those hormones get recycled back in to the bloodstream and back into the body. Also, fibre is great at managing insulin levels. So if you have PCOS, you're at a higher risk of insulin resistance and ultimately type 2 diabetes. So eating plenty of fiber helps lower those insulin levels. If you have higher insulin levels, you produce more estrogen, more endometrial cells, and all those conditions can be much harder to manage. So fiber is super, super important. And having a source of carbohydrates especially whole grains, fruits, vegetables, with every meal is going to help you on your way significantly. Yes. And just to clarify, because I really do think there's confusion about this, fiber only comes from plants. There is absolutely no fiber in an animal product. And I actually heard an expert the other day who wasn't a plant-based expert, obviously, but they were just like, animal products are very low in fiber. And I was like, no, they're not low in fiber. They have zero <laughs> fiber. There's no fiber. It's it's not part of muscle. <laughs> you know, fiber is not I know. It's, it's so. amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, just to clarify, if you're just eating a bunch of animal products and a lot of pro, you know processed, ultra-processed foods, your diet is very, very low in fiber, which is, I think, one of the biggest deficiencies we have in our diet is fiber deficiency. So in order to get more fiber, you have to eat more plants. So by definition, once you start eating more plants, which are a combination of all the macronutrients. So whole plants have carbohydrates, they have protein, they have fats in different percentages. They also all have fiber. So once you start eating plants, yes, your carbohydrate intake is going to go up, but it's also going to come packaged along with that fiber and healthy fats that are part of the plant. So thank you so much for indulging me in that (laughs) discussion. (laughs) And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. 
In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating, and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. I want to go back to the six pillars and talk about that a little bit more. But before we do that, let's talk about men. You mentioned male infertility earlier. Why is it important that we not forget about men, their health and their fertility status? I think men are often overlooked in in the fertility conversation. The focus tends to be very much on the female. And, and while that's fine, you know, men contribute 50% to a pregnancy. So it's really, really important to get them involved in the discussion of diet and lifestyle changes as well. And I think men are more reluctant to talk about infertility. I think they see that their masculinity has been challenge that they you know they do feel less of a man if they're struggling to conceive and I think it really needs to be normalized and to say you know there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of it's something that needs to be just talked about and the conversation opened up so there's so many things that that men can do as well and so many nutrients in plant foods that can positively affect male fertility so I always encourage male partners to attend at least the first consultation with me so that we can we can have a chat as well and they can because it shouldn't just all be on the woman either you know the, the the male partner if there is one should be there to support them through that journey as well they're just having low sperm counts or their sperm quality is being affected what are the things that diet can help with so diet can help with so many things with sperm quality so the count the motility uh, the shape there's it's it's just incredible the more i read the more i think that this is food is just the power of food is just absolutely amazing um and you know food can and nutrients can can they don't just help with egg and sperm quality either they can help with um ivf outcomes they can help increase endometrial thickness they can help aid implantation it's just it, it is just, it blows my mind every time I read a new paper. Culturally, you know, in our westernized cultures, mm-hmm. a lot of people think that to be manly, you know, to have the strong muscles, to be big, to be masculine, you have to eat a lot of meat. But what yeah. you're saying is that there's things, the heme iron, saturated fat, trans fats, those are all naturally present in meat. So talk a little bit more about that. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it, it is seen as a very manly thing to eat a lot of meat, but actually 
and and I think men are really really worried and, and they will say to me how will I get my protein if I go on a plant-based diet especially men who work out a lot and and go to the gym and lift heavy weights but actually I always explain to them there is protein in all plants just in various quantities there are all nine essential amino acids in plants just in varying quantities so you can really easily meet your protein needs on a plant-based diet and you just have to look at all the plant-based bodybuilders and strong men out there to to see that that's the case um so you know things like tofu and i think men are also quite worried a lot of them about eating soya or soy because they think that it's going to affect their testosterone levels and make them less manly and and you know have a really negative effect on their fertility but actually we know from a lot of data that soya is completely safe to eat and i always recommend two to three servings a day and it doesn't have any negative effects on fertility or testosterone and actually has been shown to improve fertility outcomes when women um, eat regular soy who are going through fertility treatment. And I know this isn't about fertility, but it is a man topic, which is prostate cancer. So we know that when men are eating more soy, uh, especially whole forms of soy, it decreases the risk of prostate cancer as well. So I agree, men shouldn't be afraid of soy. In fact, it's something that could benefit their health in a variety of ways. Absolutely. Okay, let's go. Let's go back through the uh, six pillars, the lifestyle medicine pillars, and maybe pick out a few of your favorites of things that you work with couples on or things that you would advise couples to uh, start practicing or focus on on their fertility journey. I think the major one is stress, for sure, because... We have such stressful lives these days. Everyone is always on the go. We can't just sit and be quiet and calm. You know, we're watching TV or on our phones or on our tablets and we're racing, racing around and just no one can just relax anymore. So, it, but it's very unhelpful when it comes to advising patients to just say, well, just relax or don't get stressed. Everything will be fine. Well, it won't be. And telling someone to relax who's stressed is just going to make them more stressed. So I put a lot of focus in that chapter of my book on how to practically manage stress levels. And I share things that really helped me when I was going through fertility treatment. And some of it may not be so evidence-based, but it's things that just helped me so much that I wanted to share them with as many people as possible. So one of those things that, or one of the methods I used was um, positive visualization. And that's where me and my husband differed completely because he refused point blank to engage in anything like that. And it wasn't because, it wasn't really because he didn't believe in it. It was because he just didn't want to give himself any false hope at all. And that's what he thought it was because he was so desperate for it to work. But for me, it really helped reduce those anxiety levels, especially during that two-week embryo transfer period. But I used to just visualize the whole process. So I'd visualize my follicles developing, the eggs growing, and them being growing big and strong, and then fertilizing on the dish. And I pictured the my little embryo burrowing into this amazing warm soothing environment and I just visualized every step of the process and I'm not saying that's going to 
increase your chances of conceiving, but it certainly helped me manage my anxiety. And every time my anxiety or my stress went really high, I just bring it back and, and do that positive visualization. That is so lovely. That gave me full body chills when you were <laughs> describing the little embryo burring in there and just getting all warm and cozy and being like, all right, here we go, mom. I mean, <laughs> I think there is so much to that. It actually is evidence-based. They have done research on positive visualization and you can see the effect for me. I'm not even the one trying to conceive, but I had some good positive chemicals released in my body. That's what caused the chills. That what That's what caused that warm feeling. So that is a way that we ourselves with our thoughts, with our brain can induce those chemicals that will help optimize the environment for, you know, some of these things to happen. And, you know, metaphysically, for those out there that believe that kind of thing, that could also be a benefit there too. So that's really great. What did your husband do? Was, was there anything that he did in particular to decrease his stress? He's not very good at decreasing his stress. <laughs> it's, it's something we've been working on for a while. He Bless him. He 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 just shut himself off. He just couldn't cope. He couldn't cope with it. He was he was just so so desperate for it to work that he was um, yeah. He almost went the other way. But that's that's something I discuss in my book as well is how to support each other. So that's yes. another pillar: nurturing your relationships because we were both we both approached it very differently. And it was important for me to understand that it wasn't that he didn't care and it wasn't that he wasn't giving me support in that way it was just that he was in his own he was coping in his own way and I think that keeping those lines of communication open is so so important and doing things as well to distract yourself from that fertility journey that you're on and remembering who you were before you started trying to conceive because it's such a stressful process and I found that going on date nights where we didn't talk about fertility and if we if the conversation ever veered back towards fertility we'd shut it down and talk about something else and do things that distracted you so rather than going out for dinner where it'd be too easy to just sit there and talk about things we go out and do activities where we could focus on something else and I think that's really really important. I love that. And I love how you're so honest and transparent about it because it's true. Everybody is on their own journey when it comes to managing thoughts and feelings and coping with overwhelming emotions. For those people that are just like, you know, some of these techniques like meditation, it's too woo for me. I, I'm not like that. Even breathing deeply, like sitting down for five minutes and doing deep breathing or getting on an app or even on YouTube and doing a guided relaxation, uh, journaling, walking in nature quietly, any of those things will decrease, you know, that cortisol, help bring down those stress chemicals, whatever it is that each person aligns with and they feel comfortable with. I think decreasing stress in general is so important. And I was just kind of smiling whenever you talked about how busy we are and how stressed we are and how we try to do things. And I am very type A, as you might know, and I'm like super goal-driven, goal-oriented. And this morning as I was doing my my speed walking on the treadmill while I was listening to my, you know, hype music. I'm like, gosh, I'm so irritated that I can't listen to my favorite music, walk and do some kind of educational video at the same time. You know, I was like, I need to cram in as much as I can. And then I was like, chill out. 
just enjoy your walk and the music. That's enough. <laughs> you know, it's like we have to remind ourselves because we get into that mode of like, how can we cram in as much as possible and do everything at once? But that's increasing our stress levels and we have to slow down, be present, just take it one step at a time because we're going to get more enjoyment out of life that way anyway. Exactly. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy. It's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water. And in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing. And a few days after that, you can start eating them. And it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them. And they're really happy that you're eating them. And your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't want to have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Is there another pillar you wanted to discuss before I move on? Um, well, exercise is, is a good one as well because I think, and that ties into the whole stress thing as well because I think I was really guilty of doing this I didn't feel like I exercised unless it was high intensity and I sweated and I felt 
all those endorphins rushed through me. But then actually, a few hours later, I was lying on the sofa, absolutely exhausted, feeling completely drained. So I think movement is really important. Incorporating movement every day into your daily routines is important. It doesn't have to be active exercise. And if you're doing high intensity exercise, you might want to consider just taking it down a notch and incorporating some low intensity exercise in there as well. So I've started doing Pilates a few times a week and replacing one of my high intensity workouts. And I felt so much better for it. And you're, you know, when you do high intensity, your sympathetic nervous system, which isn't sympathetic at all, is activated even more. So if you're stressed, you do high intensity, you're up here and then you can't sleep and you feel wired and those cortisol levels are sky high and it's just not, not beneficial. You're so right. It really is about balance. And I'm like that too. I've have gone through periods where I am a cardio junkie and I love getting those endorphins. I did long distance running for a while, but it is important to balance it for a few reasons. One, because of those, those stress hormones, but also because like you were saying before, you get into the all or nothing sort of thing. Like you're like, well, I'm either going to do the super high intensity thing or I'm not going to do anything. And sometimes you're so tired. You're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to go do my planned five mile run. So you're like, well, I, I'm not going to do anything where you could just go for a walk outside. You can go walk your dog. You can go gardening. Any kind of movement is going to be beneficial and it's going to contribute to your overall health. So thank you so much for bringing that up. What have you learned about fertility and the effects of diet and lifestyle that has surprised you the most? The impact that it can have on fertility. And I just had no idea before I started really researching in depth just how significant an impact the right diet and lifestyle can have on fertility. And we know that the plant-based diet is really beneficial for cardiovascular health. and what we don't often think about is that our sexual organs benefit as well as you know we ha we want improved blood flow to the organs but actually the sexual organs are organs so doing following a diet that can lower your blood pressure full of nitrate rich foods especially for men this is really important because erectile dysfunction is also increasing so to eat a diet that's rich in nitrates, source of nitric oxide, dilates and widens your blood vessels, increases blood flow to your organs can be really helpful in those in that condition as well. And as I was saying earlier, just the effects of diet and lifestyle, not just on the quantity, the quality, sorry, of the egg and the sperm, but also on all those other areas of fertility, like the increased endometrial thickness, like the in, improved chances of implantation, the improved outcomes for IVF treatment. It's just, there is so much that can be done. And actually it's really empowering to know that for something that is, feels out of your control, suffer, you know, suffering with infertility, that you actually do have control to, to help yourselves. Yes. And like you were saying earlier, it benefits your full body. So we often think of organ systems as separate, as like, that's like a separate thing, but it's literally all connected through our blood vessels, through our lymphatic system. You know, it's all connected, our nervous system. And so whatever we do to help our cardiovascular system is helping our, you know, sexual organs as well. So, and then 
getting that metabolism, our metabolic function regulated. So decreasing our risk of diabetes and, and those kinds of things, regulating that blood sugar is also going to be beneficial. So that is so important. Lisa, what do you wish more people knew? I guess I just wish that they knew that there was so much that can be done. I think a lot of people feel very hopeless when it comes to infertility and trying to conceive. And they may have gone to a lot of different people and had a lot of different advice. And it's really important to only go and see someone who follows the evidence base and who knows what they're talking about, to not follow people on social media who perpetuate those many myths about soya and low-carb diets and other seed cycling and all kinds of things that just don't have any evidence base and can actually really stress people out so if you're you know you wouldn't go and see a plumber to go and have heart surgery so only see someone who really really follows the evidence base and is a registered professional that's very great advice thank you so much well i'd love to know if you have a morning routine and if so what is it well i have a four-year-old so <laughs> he is your morning routine. <laughs> he is my morning routine. But do you know what? Recently, we have this amazing little routine that we do together. So I'm not very good at getting out of bed in the morning and just going. I need some time to just gather my thoughts and, and just relax for five minutes. So he now comes into bed with me when he wakes up. And he knows that I'll go downstairs, make a cup of tea, come back up and we'll lie in bed together. I'll have my cup of tea. He'll just yabber away about something, his dream or something he's done in school the day before. And it's just really, really lovely. And I love that part of my day because I get up so early and I work full time in the NHS and I have to go up the motorway to, to get to work. And I'm always dashing around. So it's just, we spend 20 minutes together. I don't mind getting a bit earlier for it. And I just really value that time. That is so beautiful. And I love how you're being deliberate about savoring it. I'm sure you've heard this from other moms, but my children are now 13 and 18. My oldest one is graduating from high school and moving on to college. And wow. I'm like, whoa, if I could turn back the clock and just re-experience some of those times, because I've always been type A since like I was born. I've always tried to cram as much stuff in. And I'd say I have enjoyed my children's lives. And I feel like I've definitely done the best I could with what I had at the time. But it really does go by fast. So, <laughs> it's so not, fast. you never know. Like you always, they say you always remember the first. You're always anticipating, you know, a first is coming but you never realize when it's going to be the last. Like you'll never know when that last time he wants to come in bed with you. And it he always never... happens before you know it. I hate to end on a death down, <laughs> but really what, I sh what I'm saying is savor it. So I'm glad that you're taking time to be deliberate about that. All right, Lisa. So this has been fantastic. You've written an amazing book. Please tell us where listeners can connect with you, how they can get the book and what other services you may offer. So I'm most active on Instagram. So I'm under RD plant-based um, and I work privately for plant-based health online. So unfortunately we can't see patients from America or Canada because of the insurance reasons. So that's really sad for me, but I can see people from elsewhere abroad and obviously within the UK. Um, so that's where you can connect. So we're plantbasedhealthonline.com. Um, 
yeah, and my book is available now on Amazon and also from the publisher. If you, if you go to Hammersmith Health Books as well, you can read the first chapter for free. Congratulations, Lisa. I am so happy that you've written this book. Let's go ahead and close off with your top three tips for couples who want to optimize their chances of conceiving. So I would say we always say in the plant-based world to eat a rainbow, but that is so important for fertility because every different color is packed with a different phytonutrients. So the most common ones are polyphenols and they are found in all the different colorful fruits and vegetables and other foods. So soya as well has isoflavones in and they all have antimicrobial, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effects. So really, really important for your egg and sperm. So eat as many different colorful foods as you can. The second thing, again, I'd highlight the fat because it's so important, especially for for growing hormones and for energy and for feeding that sperm. So make sure you have enough fat in your diet. And I think the third thing I'd probably say, listen to your body because it will tell you what it wants. And I think we're not very good at doing that, especially me. Um, so rest when you need to rest, move when you need to move, manage your stress when you feel that things are just getting on top of you because it's easy to ignore stress and to just keep going and that's not beneficial for your fertility or for your general health so trust your body and listen to what it's telling you uh, i love it okay so eat the rainbow get your healthy fats in don't neglect the, the healthy fats and manage your stress those are wonderful lisa thank you so much congratulations on your book thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world helping other people i appreciate you so much and i hope that you have a very plantastic day and thank you so much for having me back and for your amazing endorsement for my book as well oh you're welcome hey veggie lover i hope that you loved today's episode Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.